with Spotify, I can never seem to choose a song because something about the availability of almost all music that was ever made is stifling. Yeah, that's why you got to put it on uh, shuffle. All of Spotify, all of all music in the, in the, his, the history of yes, recorded music. Oh, by it, you mean you mean the accumulation of all music that mankind has ever made? And, well, that that got recorded. Should I say my name? Yes. You say, I'm Avery, for example. Okay. I am Avery. For example. I'm Jay. (laughs) And I'm Jim. And this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Avery, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? I'm Avery. I am a musician. I have a solo album that's on Bandcamp. For months, I've been trying to put it on Spotify, but Spotify keeps rejecting it. What really? Like, yeah, like you, you, you played your chords too sloppy. Like they were, just, yeah, it's oh. too, too much explicit content. No, it's um, the cover of the album is just all. It's all text. It's all the lyrics of all the songs on the album. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, and Jay, it sounds like you might know what, what the problem is here, but apparently, at least the distributor I'm trying to use. If you have text on the al- on a, on the album cover artwork, it has to also list the artists, all the artists on the album. So either no text or text that has the artist names in it. Wow. And so either I have to change my album artwork to have mine and the musicians' names uh, to like add that text or change the artwork completely. Is that like an ASCAP rule? I don't know. And I don't know how they would verify it because it's a it's not like a PDF. It's an image. So I think somebody has to actually some person looked and judged your album cover. Yeah. And judged it unworthy. Yes. Keeps kicking it back. Unless they've told you iTunes or Spotify or whoever send it back. My hunch is that it's just someone at the distribution level who's like, nah, this won't be accepted. Mm -hmm. But I had pixel art uh, for multiple. This happened twice for two different albums or one was pixel art one was low res and they were both rejected there were years in between them and because the image was too low quality and low resolution both times and then in in an email with a person they said don't just scale your image up if it's very low resolution you need a high resolution image i mean we we've talked about on this podcast uh the idea of immersing yourself in a old school shitty aesthetic so for so long that you start liking it right this is exactly the sort of thing you should expect to happen when you when, the, when that right. aesthetic starts like impacting the rest of the world right however with distro kid i don't know if that's who you have they're not the best at everything but i was able to get on the dms and then the person's like oh yeah pixel art okay and then they put it through and then none of the stores themselves rejected it but yeah good luck Thank you. I, I should try DistroKid. I've got, I'm on, I don't, I feel like we shouldn't mention the names of these things. Nah, they're giant services. Right, I'm, right. I, I'm on CD Baby because like way back in 2002, my band used CD Baby to actually create CDs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember CD Baby. I didn't know they were still a thing. They're now a digital distribution. What does CD stand for now? Content Distribution Baby. Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. Thanks for coming up with that. I was about to just... <laughs> riff the guy who founded cd baby got bought out and his i was reading about him on 
Wikipedia, his buyout is something like he gets a million dollars every year for the rest of his life or something. Oh, that's wow. wow. <laughs> yeah. That's intense, especially like if they buy it out and then they go out of business. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, well, a site that creates CDs for people like can't possibly generate enough revenue anymore to fund this guy's lifestyle. Right, right. right. That guy's blog is super interesting. I'll, I'll, put, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's very philosophical. I'm just thinking about their logo and their mascot, which is the baby, I guess, on a CD. I don't remember <laughs> quite, but a baby face on a CD and a topic should be added for a future show, which is strange.com era mascots. For example, the GoDaddy man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the pets.com sock puppet. Yeah. Kind of a weird, I guess you could say postmodern Photoshop parts together of things time for mascots yeah like the classy supo soup how do you say that the rugrats people yeah yeah i don't know if this is strictly apropos but it makes me think of the uh the art style they used for quake 3 which mm. what like it quake 3 wasn't it doesn't have a story you know it doesn't have a setting so what they did to build these levels was they just one set of people made some textures and the other set of people put them on geometry, mm. and that was the aesthetic. Oh, wow. So it was like <laughs> a exquisite corpse first-person shooter. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure there was a little bit of back and forth there. But like that's, that, that's what it looks like to me, is just like we have some abstract geometry, and we have like textures that like evoke, you know, heavy metal or demons or technology. And mash them together, put them, put them, just put them wherever. A very strange time. Demons and technology go together. They go together really well aesthetically. Especially in the late 90s. Yes, exactly. It, like a demon face on a circuit board. True. Uh, Jay, would you like to, would you like <laughs> yeah. to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? Yeah, sure. Hi, I'm Jay Tholen and Tolan. I can't whatever. remember which one it is now. <laughs> I, <laughs> let's just go Tolan. 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 Okay. And it's more international. Oh, okay. <laughs> I would like to plug accepting help from others. Don't be too proud to accept help. Like, for example, if you're a father and you have children and they want to help take care of something for you, don't be like, I'm the dad. I'm supposed to take care of you guys. <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> you have to just accept help. The hard part about it, about accepting help from children specifically, is that they're usually really bad at it and just make things worse. <laughs> That's, but you still have to muscle through and let them do it. Otherwise, they'll just, they'll stop offering. And that sucks. Yeah. Well, sometimes the help is simply in the form of money, which you can't really mess up. Winston hasn't offered me any of that yet. Mm, yeah. Well, soon, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. He's just got to find a job first. That's right. Got to put that kid to work. Yeah. Uh, are we ready for, uh, for a topic? I'm ready. I was born ready. Avery, your topic is Kowloon Walled City. Oh, wow. I wasn't ready for that. This was your topic. You wrote this. How <laughs> dare you throw this topic at me. Um, <laughs> I mean, am I wrong? Like, that's, I'm pretty sure that's your name. Yeah, yeah. This has yeah. happened before where I, I, I looked at the first two letters of a guest's name and it's like, that's the same as this other name. And I put the <laughs> wrong topic in the bucket. Names, what do they mean? <laughs> They're just labels that we put on things. <laughs> 
Yeah, Kowloon Walled City. Have either of you ever heard of this place? I've heard lore, but uh, I would love to know more. Poked around. You've poked around Kowloon Walled City? Like Google, quick Google, looking at pictures, not understanding what I'm looking at. Yeah. Mostly. I think instead of explaining it, we should all just look at pictures together and say things like, wow, look at that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, apparently it's also been in video games, which is where, you know, Jim's thing, those damn video games. (laughs) Kowloon Walled City was, it started its life as a military base within Hong Kong. And when the British leased part of Hong Kong back to China, a bunch of people moved into this walled military fort and started to build houses and structures. And it became the most densely packed inhabited human area. It's like a city that's squished into just a very small grid and people lived in these really, really tiny dwellings stacked really high on top of each other. You could get around the entire city by walking on the rooftops. Hmm. Looks like something from Blade Runner. There was almost no outside to the city. There's like a little central, there's a central area. If you look at it, if you look at it from above, you see like a packed square of buildings that are all different heights. And then in the middle, there is a little sliver that faces the sky but otherwise if you're in the alleyways in Kowloon you couldn't really see the sky above the city and it wasn't governed by China or Britain because authorities couldn't really get into it and so the people in Kowloon created their own mail delivery services and they had their own like peacekeeping services and people from elsewhere in Hong Kong would go there for dentistry because dentistry was cheap there <laughs> so, so there was a bunch of wow. there were Wait, a bunch did, of like rogue... so did they have like agriculture no no if you look at the if you look at it from above it, it's uh unfortunately i chose something that's visually very striking to talk about on this podcast but like it's it's so densely packed that there would be no nowhere to grow anything it, it really looks like this is this is like a future city and i'm claustrophobic and like i should when i look at like pictures from this city be like, whoa, that looks like a terrible way to live. But actually, when I first found out about it, uh, something about it, I was just like, man, I really want to go there uh, and just like see this way of life where people are packed on top of each other like this. But it got torn down, I think, in the 90s. The whole thing was just bulldozed. Yeah, like otherwise they would get tourists going there and dying. Yes, totally. Or I'm sure people died like going to, <laughs> going to uh, like a nightmare city for cheap dentistry seems also like a like an opportunity to just to die yeah yeah, to die an opportunity (laughs) to die yes (laughs) do you remember how long it existed like from when they first i guess claimed independence or whatever until uh they tore it down or when it first became its own thing i know that it was a fort in like 1890 oh it says Mm. here on the wikipedia 1898 i'm unclear about when it turned into started to turn into a city and then by 1990 when it was it was torn down i think in 94 and in 1990 there were 50,000 people living in it wow um yeah and if you imagine it was it was like a fort so like you know forts are big but they're not meant for the population of a small city like 50,000 right um there's a really neat group of schematics that this artist made where they're like cross sections of the city and you see you know how small people's dwellings were and like how something very nice about the efficient use of space inside of these tiny uh dwellings in fact every time i'm on topic lords i seem to bring this up but i owned a coffee shop for a little while in san francisco and it was 
300 square feet and I spent a lot of time looking at like the houses in Kowloon and then also these tiny bars there's like a tiny bar scene I guess in Tokyo uh and I thought oh cool I can make like really good efficient use of this space but what I didn't think is that like you have to be super organized all the time to do that and I'm <laughs> like the opposite of a super organized person mm. and so I started my coffee shop off with like everything being in a really nice place and everything having like a bespoke place that it that it goes and then after about six months of working seven days a week my coffee shop just always looked like a terrible mess because i didn't have the energy to keep putting things back in their bespoke places and also that is the have... problem or well one of several problems with working every single day and never taking a break one of several problems yeah could there be a way at all in which someone could walk into that disheveled coffee shop not the earlier on nice one and think oh this is cozy i love this mess or something like this uh people seemed to like it okay because it was so quirky looking and because eventually it was sort of disheveled looking i think that i ended up filtering out any potential new customer that wouldn't yeah. get along with me personally okay cool and then it ended up being a very expensive energy draining way to make friends because people would come in and if they saw the place and liked it then they were the type of people who would want to be friends with me do you still have any friends from your coffee shop days oh yeah yeah i have a, I have a bunch of them no oh, that's great <laughs> what i what i lost in hundreds of thousands of dollars of investment i gained in hundreds of thousands of dollars of friends <laughs> That's it's okay. It wasn't hundreds of thousands of your dollars. That's true. What are they thinking investing in a coffee shop in San Francisco? That's true. They deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> Lately, whenever I've been reading about like squatter cities or like repurposed architecture like this, I think about there's a manga series called Blame. That's actually it's spelled Blame, but it's pronounced Blam. And the setting there is a future where the nanobots that that humans used to do construction just went wild and just made infinite, ridiculous, pointless architecture in every direction. And the remaining humans are trying to figure out how to live in this space where like all the matter on earth has been converted to like endless concrete staircases or nonsense skyscrapers. Oh, I like that. Interesting. It's a really neat setting and the thing that the author seems to think is most interesting about the setting is that the protagonist has a cool gun, which is why <laughs> the manga is named Blam. So I didn't actually read much of it. I just, you know, think about it sometimes. Uh, I hate that when the when the when the world Aww. building is way more intriguing than the actual content. Yeah. Yep. That's how I feel about Dune, where like Frank Herbert wrote Dune when he was I think he was 21 or something. He was like really young. And when you read it, at least for me, when I read it, I was like, this is how a socially inept young 20 year old man would write about human interaction. <laughs> but then the world is so cool and intriguing. Yeah. Sometimes people are good at one thing and they try to make a different thing because that's what humans accept as like an acceptable way to spend your time is writing novels. Because I guess at that time they hadn't invented D&D source books yet. <laughs> Right. He could have just worked for Wizards of the Coast or whatever. <laughs> right. Uh, are we ready for another topic? Sounds good. Let's do it. Jay, your topic is internet communities gaining a reputation and then changing over time as members mature. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about somethingawful.com when I wrote that. Yeah. Because uh, in some of my formative years when I was in, I was probably 16 or 17, I started reading that website. 
and I got an account there with my dad's credit card. Oh, whoa. <laughs> it was 10 bucks. Yeah, I had to pay ten one time $10, and um, he shouldn't have let me. <laughs> but anyway, um, he didn't know what he was doing. It is called something awful. <laughs> Should be prepared for <laughs> yeah. something awful to happen. Back then, I thought it was funny, and you know, I was in high school, and some of it was pretty funny. Uh, they had a front page with content on it back then, and that's initially what drew me to it. It was a little edgy, like, I don't know, Dale Earnhardt. Was it Dale Earnhardt or Dale Earnhardt Jr. who had just crashed into a wall around the early 2000s or something? No, oh, yeah, I'm I not know. sure which one yeah. it was. But, you know, I, I'm from a kind of rural area, and, you know, people were crying about this person, and I didn't know who it was, and... Something awful was picking on it, which was the first thing I'd seen of anyone making fun of this. Uh, and I, I had already thought, well, I'm not into NASCAR, you know. And so it resonated with me feeling like, a, I guess, an outsider, you know, out there or something making fun of this stuff. And I, I got on the forums, which are perhaps the more popular part uh, in the front page, kind of quickly fell into obscurity and became kind of a joke about they're not even being a front page. The The place had a reputation, though, for some pretty edgy stuff. And like 4chan basically came from uh, X something awful people. Like people who were too edgy for something awful. People. <laughs> yeah. Um, so something awful folks started accusing the moderation team of of making it into a hug box was what you would say, <laughs> I suppose. And something awful is, you know, anything goes, you're supposed to be able to do whatever i guess and of course the moderation team were accused of just banning because they would make 10 bucks because people wouldn't would inevitably sign up again oh is that a thing you're allowed to you're allowed to create another account yeah there's a perma ban and then there's a a ban which you could pay 10 bucks to unban yourself right that seems like a conflict of interests (laughs) yeah the people who ran it maybe weren't you know the greatest moral the people who ran something awful weren't the greatest yeah however um you know they had a reputation for harassing people if you remember haba hotel it was this online sort of pixel art social not really a game just like a place to hang out an isometric like place and they made a cult called like the grays or something and they all chose gray skin and put gray sweatsuit on and everything gray and then just like blocked people and were annoying and made swastikas and stuff like that. Just, you know, and I was, I don't know what, 16, 17 and thought that that was great and funny and everything. And, you know, over time, if you're unfamiliar with 4chan listener, it's another edgy forum and it's still going and it it probably still deserves its reputation, I would say. I don't think they've really done anything to moderate. Yeah, 4chan did the opposite thing where they just got worse and worse. Yeah. Yeah, they got worse. And then they gave birth to 8chan. (laughs) Yep. The people who were too bad for 4chan went there. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It'll continue forever, probably. But um, uh, something awful, though, it you know, it was it was massive. It was probably one of the largest forums of its day in terms of membership, even though you had to pay for it. And it was, I guess you could say, closer to Reddit in its heyday where there are many sub communities, you know, uh, and the, the sub forums like games or there's audio production sub forum, you know, after, I don't know, 
after I got out of high school, I quickly became less interested in all the, you know, griefing people, trolling people stuff, uh, which maybe happened to some small degree in the main forum. But even that, like folks kind of cut it out. I guess it, people didn't have time anymore. But that's what I was thinking. Why did it get nicer? I mean, people just just grew up, I guess, and had less time or interest generally in being a jerk to people and in an organized manner on a forum. Yeah. Um, and I guess people had left. But um, something awful is still there, and I still read it. I have subscribed threads um, that are like music production or like about particular games, the No Man's Sky thread. And, you know, I'm still part of little sub communities there of people who are pretty cool. And within those threads, they moderate based on their own standards, I guess. Um, and, and right now, I don't think you can even go on there and post any like weird right wing stuff without being banned. But sometimes, though, if I mention it or someone notices that I maybe I post a screenshot of something awful, I'll get uh, this has only happened twice. But I'll, I get a DM and it's like, why are you on that Nazi website? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, it sounds a little weak to respond that was a long time ago you know it doesn't sound great but it really wasn't for my part just talking about music production with some people like they don't no one has done that in many years so and of course this was 1999 when the site started yeah this is 21 22 years of time where people grow and change and yeah place is completely different and so it's kind of kind of frustrating in some way, I don't really see the, it as like an identity or anything, but it does kind of suck that, you know, I have a pretty chill group of friends there. And then if you kind of mention it to the wrong people, they're like, why are you on the Nazi website? Yeah. So, yeah. Or they just unfollow you immediately without talking about it. I mean, I'm frustrated in general by, and this is kind of the same thing, how the discourse of, I want to say like modern society, but I actually just mean Twitter. We're like, like society isn't really on Twitter. Like, yeah, it's bad to confuse those two things. Is the discourse is run by like people in their early twenties? You know, people who just haven't really matured. Like, whether or not their heart's in the right place, sometimes it is. Or, which is to say, sometimes I agree with them and sometimes I don't. Right. Like, they're not very mature yet in their thinking. Like, they're not very flexible. Right. And I'm sure they're gonna get better because that just tends to happen. Uh, and and it kind of makes a lot of sense that if a community isn't getting fresh blood, like I, something awful, I feel like is is probably not getting new users very much. They're probably no yeah. like <laughs> the people who've been, who've been there for form. twenty years and are now twenty years older. It makes a lot of sense uh, that they would just be better people now, more mature, uh, and more mellow. And it's interesting that something awful avoided the very common way that community communities get radicalized, which is there's poor moderation and the people who are most intense, who have like the most wild like philosophies, post the most. Right. And the people who are less intense leave because they're they don't want to be around that. After that happens for a while, like it's just the crazy people. Right. Do you think part of this has to do with at least part of what happened with something awful has to do with like the internet and American culture has become much more aware of the potential dangers of toxic behavior online. Like 
you know, in the in the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s on the internet, if people post schwatstickas, schwatstickas, I know I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, I apologize to all the Nazi listeners out there for pronouncing that word wrong. <laughs> um, like, I remember early days of the internet, not really, like, I remember there being debates around moderation and stuff and not really understanding the importance of moderating threads and websites. And I feel like it wasn't maybe until Gamergate that it has become apparent to me, at least, how online behavior can uh, bubble over into the real world in very potentially um, damaging ways. And I I wonder if that kind of stuff, what you're describing with something awful to me is like, it started like back when you could get away with being like, yeah, all this stuff is just ironic. We're just like, you know, we're just doing we're just doing outrageous things. Because like, I remember in the early 90s, the early days of the internet being like, yeah, it's just fun to do this outrageous stuff on the internet because there's no rules and like we're just doing things to be ironic uh and now we kind of all realize that that's not harmless like we've all come to sort of a realization that that kind of behavior leads to uh like people attacking the capital of the united states for instance yeah and in the case of this website when something got very popular it became bannable to use that thing like so if there was a thing in the old days you wouldn't have called it a meme but like a catchphrase or you would have called it a bannable offense yes yes you would have (laughs) like anything like that if it got popular it was pretty much immediately bannable as soon as it hit any kind of mainstream level and you couldn't you just couldn't post it you and and just memes in general when they became memes were were banned you're not allowed to post an image maybe nowadays you can but back in the day, they cared a lot about this kind of strange, like, purity of being ahead of the curve, maybe, is, is part of it. But um, I almost think that, th- that that behavior and that kind of griefing thing, when the core moderation team aged a little bit, they just saw it as passe, and they saw it as g- uncool, almost, and didn't tolerate it. Because it was uncool, which isn't good necessarily, but I think that that may have been in large part why it didn't go in that direction. Like, because moderation has always been pretty thorough on that website, I would say. Right. And in it, and often for silly or, or, you know, weird reasons like that. So that's Mm. a theory. I don't know. Maybe they were like trying to enforce what they thought of as the something awful culture maybe i don't know <laughs> right right the, it was like the when the kid who when somebody finally got convicted for swatting after somebody was ended up being shot oh, yeah. the judge was like you know it was only funny the first time <laughs> the judge was like the first time i found it hilarious <laughs> right uh, though at the same time like on that site there's like a drug use forum they have a reputation on the forum for or they had, maybe they still do, for for not being very mm, careful. And they never did anything about that. So I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe they just wanted to leave them to their own corner. I don't know. I dated a girl very briefly in 2006, I think, who had a Something Awful account and, like, really loved it. And as a present got me a something awful account which i never looked at because <laughs> even the even the name something awful i was like well i don't like awful things so 
probably don't want to look at that. So you're technically a goon. (laughs) Man, I wonder if that account still exists. Probably. The the forum software hasn't changed. That is such a sweet gift. (laughs) Yeah. Now I now I realize that it was thoughtful. Back then I was like, oh, I don't want to. I'm not into the same kinds of weird internet things that you're into, lady. (laughs) I depending on the year, maybe a good call, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's she gifted you an eight chan account. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Are we ready for another topic? Sounds good. Uh, my topic is the moral cost of the 303 Devilfish clone. I had a Twitter thread about this maybe a month ago. Are you are you too familiar with the, the TB-303? Yeah, but not the clone thing. Of course, I know what you're talking about, but for the listeners... Yes, of course, um, I, was, I, I w- would have gone on to explain it. Oh, I mean, it, no. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is... Uh, the, the 303 was originally designed as a... Bass synthesizer, meaning this is something you get if, like, if you're a singer-songwriter and you don't have a band, you can get this cheap synthesizer that will play bass lines for you and accompany your singer-songwriting. Uh, and it was a big failure. Nobody wanted it. Uh, and then the people who were making dance music found it in the bargain bin and uh, made really influential electronic music using it. Uh, because it it turns out it can also do this really interesting like bloopy warbly screechy sound that is that became very became and st- honestly in a lot of ways still is dominant in the electronic music scene and so at which point the 303 became like very sought after and very expensive uh on on the secondhand market uh and the devilfish is uh and there's an Australian modder called Robin Whittle, who is is actually still selling this service where he will take your 303 and uh, apply his modifications to it. And the modifications are things like, you know, extra parameters, tweaked parameter ranges. And this this service, you know, costs, you know, several thousand dollars on top of the several thousand dollars you've already paid for the for the 303 in the first place. Uh, Behringer, which is a, a, I think, Swedish electronics manufacturer, they have a reputation of like, ripping off synthesizer designs and manufacturing them for cheap. And they have recently cloned the the 303. You can get it on Amazon for like 110 bucks. It's called the TD3. Basically indistinguishable when you listen to it. So it's it's pretty much the same thing. I think they actually went in and cloned the circuitry too. Uh, and, you know, morally that's, you know, whatever. It's The thing is 40 years old and it's out of production and who really cares? But they're also making now a version, and it's, it's a, and it's not available for sale yet. I've been looking around, but I haven't found it on at any store. A version with the 303 mod applied, basically. They're manuf- it just comes out of manufacturing like that. The Devilfish version? Oh, the Devilfish mod, yes. Yeah. And they were trying to come to an agreement with the creator of the Devilfish to actually brand it Devilfish and be official. But they couldn't, but they're just making it anyway. And they're calling it something else. Oh, no. It seems like a shitty thing to do. But also, if he had patented the Devilfish mod, the patent would have expired over a decade ago. And like, I do strongly believe that IP should expire. Like, you can make an argument either way. But I I think it's it's a reasonable thing to say, like, that this isn't super unethical of them. The the modified version is called the TD-3-MO. MO stands for moral cost. <laughs> so, there, that's my story. Huh. Yeah, that's tough. Um, 
Yeah. yeah, in my in my thread, I said I'm not going to get one of these because it only does one thing, and after I make a song in a genre or two, I get bored. Right. I've been saying that, but I've also been looking every week or so. I check to see whether when it goes on <laughs> sale. So, like, I think I am eventually going to get it. Yeah. Sorry, I missed a little bit of your explanation because it reminded me of something, and I started trying to search for the thing that it reminded me of. Oh, sure. Which is the the Prophet Five. Uh, oh yeah, which yeah. was a, a drum synth that like was cool in the '80s, and then everyone threw theirs away, and now people are looking for them again. The original ones are really expensive on on eBay again. So the reason you may have be having trouble finding it is I think the Prophet Five was not a drum synth. That was a like a, a keyboard synth. Oh shoot. Yeah, I remember some prog bands used it. <laughs> yeah, that was the one that's most famously used in like uh, 99 Red Balloons. So there's a thing, it was a drum synth that I think you hit it, and it was used in the song Betty Davis Eyes. I was looking through the, um, trying to figure out what it was used in there for just this like one drum sound. And apparently everybody went out and bought them when they first came out, and then we're like, well, I can only do one thing, and then like threw them all away, and now people have discovered them again through through electronic music people have discovered that these things can be can make super cool weird drum noises but like these kinds of devices don't they don't they always come out with a with an emulator for them like you can just download the sound of it into your digital whatever like whatever, whatever. yeah yeah vst or whatever virtual instrument yeah. yeah pretty darn accurate usually not it's beyond what any average person listening could distinguish mm -hmm. in a mix anyway so like that strikes me as undercutting the moral argument too where you could just be like well i mean this is probably already available basically for free as a vst it looks like it might be the prophet six the prophet six there you Maybe, go. i'm not sure i'm not sure yet i i definitely i searched for betty davis eyes drum synth and the prophet six and the prophet eight both came up too many prophets yeah it may just be that like they they dialed in a drum sound on this keyboard. Right, and that it sounded like that. My my understanding is it, it was like a drum pad or something like that. Right, yeah. And it was the first of its kind, and it was real hot for like a year or two, and then everybody just threw theirs away because they were like, this can only do like three things. Right. Because it's very pinned to that particular era, that sound, it then sounds dated and then nobody wants them anymore until like 25 years right later. yeah just gotta wait a little while this isn't gonna be helpful to your search but profit six is profit dash six but profit eight is profit apostrophe zero eight because it was made in 2008 <laughs> it's like the fast and the furious franchise where there's no <laughs> yeah rhyme or reason to the way that they name the <laughs> they name each of them right right didn't behringer i'm sure i've read about them multiple times swiping things from even smaller creators like synth people i don't i think they stole a midi controller sounds like them a very specific design but it looks exactly like the other one and it was as far as i understood a much smaller person who made these things and in and in that case i i don't i don't i think it was a pretty new unit my guess is that they don't get smaller than robin whittle who is like installing these things by hand in his garage oh right it's yeah well i mean I guess in terms of popularity, I meant. I still feel the moral quandary. Well, yeah, like, what's the thing about the egg cracking against the wall and you always side with the egg? Yeah, right, yeah. As a, as a, as a philosophy person, my spiel about why people should be interested in ethics, which is not, like, 
not my field really, but, um, or what, or like what having a moral philosophy does for you, the individual is that like your moral philosophy should, it should match your intuitions on, uh, easy to figure out moral cases. And if it doesn't, it has to make like a really, really, really powerful argument for why your moral intuitions are wrong about the easy cases. Yeah. But then for, for the edge cases, like something like this, where you feel, feel a moral conflict, your moral philosophy should help you settle that, settle those counterintuitive cases. Yeah, that makes sense. And so I find myself being like, well, what would Aristotle think about this? Uh, like, what does virtue <laughs> ethics have to say about yeah, what's right like, in this case? What is the moral weight of a bunch of people who've been wanting to get a 303 all their lives suddenly being able to get one for 200 bucks? Right. Right. Versus putting this one guy out of business who's not like gouging anyone, right? Like he's doing a special service. Yeah, yeah. He's, it's expensive because it's a lot of work. Yeah. And I wonder if it would even put him out of business. I don't think it will. I, yeah, I, I think point. there's always going to be the people who, like, this is, this is definitely the case among musicians, like gearheads, that yeah. they want the authentic thing. There's something to be said for that too, right? Like Stevie, who, whom I live with, who is uh, my roommate and landlord <laughs> and one of, my, one of my longest musical collaborators, just got the EB6, the OB6, just got a really, really neat analog synth and it's definitely helpful for the musician to have when you sit down with a uh, editing software or something you just have this blank canvas and it's like sitting down to a blank page to write where it's like extremely intimidating but when you sit down with this like device and all you do is you hit a key and it's already making sounds that's really helpful for the individual and then also like i'd like to believe that there's something added by having an analog device but that might just be the sort of romantic in me that's still something like even if it's psychological it can still be real right yeah i think it's different like i think it offers some small advantage if this was the 303 that beethoven used that, <laughs> that would that would offer a certain real value to the to the creator well i mean because he signed it too right, can, right yes he could eventually sell that for a lot of money yeah i guess if i'm being honest every time i hear about behringer or someone cloning or bringing back an old analog thing it does excite me a little bit because i have not been able to afford a lot of that stuff and so i'm like kind of excited in general for like these things getting cheaper and i'm like yeah keep going i don't know you know like <laughs> Let's get all of it cheap or something, yeah. which is not good, like, for the industry. But Except me. that, like, in, in the case of them, like, bringing back really old, out-of-production stuff, I think that is strictly good. Right. Yeah. 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 Jay, are you a musician? I see, uh, like, your screenshot, I see a very blurry picture of what looks like people performing <laughs> on a stage. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm mostly a recording-focused I, I was listening to your band camp right before we oh, you were. got on this call, by the way. Yeah, just a little, oh, gosh. just like a few seconds while you were messing around. I, I guess mostly recording focused. It's very piecemeal. Like I, I, I have guitars. They're all tuned weird because I don't really play a guitar. <laughs> and so one is just like fifths, you know, uh -huh. for the riffs. And then one is ukulele tuning <laughs> because that's. Because I can play the ukulele. That's for leads. And then, so everything is like in service of the recording, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and, and not performance. I would be awful at performance. 
that's interesting. Oh, you know what? You were talking about putting stuff up on SoundCloud earlier anyway. I should have picked up on that. Oh, DistroKid. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or Spotify or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It feels to me like streaming music especially has made it possible for uh, someone to be just a recording artist who can still find an audience, right? Like you can just write songs and record them and be like, there's no way that I could perform any of this stuff, but I can put it out into the world and maybe people will find it that way rather than me yeah, performing it. Yeah, my audience would mostly find it through my game, and that's partially why I make games, is to get some people to listen to the music. <laughs> <laughs> I have the opposite thing where, like, I made, you know, 10 or 11 albums before anybody knew who I was, and part of what made that okay for me psychologically was that I knew I didn't have an audience, is that I could put out mm. whatever I wanted and not, mm. like, feel anxiety about, are people going to like this? If I put out an album now... Now that I have, you know, 8,000 followers on Twitter, people are definitely going li- to definitely going to listen to this thing. And that, that that adds a huge psychic weight to needing to needing it to be perfect. Yeah. Well, let me um relieve you of your fears or something and I'll just tell you they might not listen to it. Okay. <laughs> That's true. Uh, <laughs> Let me relieve you of your fears. No one's listening to you. No one will listen to it. Yeah, it's very hard to get anyone to listen to anything. And especially like if you are known for one thing, like people don't even care about games that I make that don't have frog fractions in the name. Right. Your other things must suck if you're known for the one thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you really want to get people to listen, then you should call yourself like Jim Storm Dancer and the Frog Fractions Players or something like that. Oh, yeah. That would do it, but then people would listen to the album thinking it was a game and then like be disappointed. <laughs> Waiting for Frog Fractions to somehow turn up as a glitch in the album. Right, right. Yeah, just name the album Frog Fractions 12 or something. Yeah, yeah. Like if I were to figure out how to do that, it would probably be something like you have to play this album into your Commodore 64. It could be a tape and it could only... But you could only run it on one of those like computers from the 80s that ran cassette tapes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Fun. Yeah, this is a surefire way to have nobody ever able to, no one ever listen to your album or play your next game. Yeah, thank goodness. It's a load Finally, off my mind. the obscurity I've been craving. <laughs> uh, this, this is why I make a podcast, so that no one will ever listen to it. <laughs> uh, are we ready for another topic? Yeah. Ready. So, so for this topic, we're going to be watching the music video Justified and Ancient by the KLF at one quarter speed. Do, do you know this song? I only know it because I just listened to it before the show started. Okay, good enough. It would also be good enough if you didn't know it at all. I'm familiar with the group, but not this song. Right. I, there's this brilliant book about them. It's just called The, the KLF, and it it's sort of uses talking about the KLF uh, as a this author whose name I cannot remember, who read a book called Stranger Than We Can Imagine, is like his big thesis seems to be that culture fractured during the 20th century in a way that has made understanding global culture impossible <laughs> and he uses the mm. he has a whole book about the klf where he uses the klf as like a window into this thesis huh well this music video certainly seems to support that yeah, <laughs> yeah. in some way three two one play and then it's continuing to count down i started from three but they started from like eight. Oh, i see that's not part of the music video so this music video i was i was cheating by looking ahead a little bit it looks as if it was being displayed on some weird technology and then that technology was being filmed. So I think right. I think we're getting like interesting overlays like that. For example, the word ancient just ancient. popped up to let you know right. that the Pantheon we are now looking at is uh, very old. 
there they are. They being, and then and, the, the technology is justified. Yes. And there's chi- Chinese characters scrolling down the side of the... Yeah, and I, I, I want to ask Google Translate to, to translate that for me, but I don't think it'll work. What does that say? I think it said drum or brown. <laughs> I think it said drum, maybe both. Yeah. Right? And there are the titular drums. Oh, that's the band yeah, name. This is, would, oh, no, it's it not. Says, it says KLF, yeah. It's, it's a very, okay. very difficult to see. I would call that effect Predator Invisible, where like... Sure, yeah. Or Jay and I would call it um, Doom Demon Invisible. Yes. Doom Demon Invisible. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> this is a pretty striking video. I don't know. Yeah. Seems expensive, maybe. I've watched this video a lot and never noticed that woman before. <laughs> so here we have Tammy Wynette. Obviously. So the KLF have a history of just being both assholes and goofballs. Tammy Wynette was like a washed up country musician in at the time, which was the late 80s, I think. And they're just like, let's just see if we can get someone famous but not doing anything to 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 <laughs> guest on our record. And there's her name scrolling. <laughs> she sings about how they asked her to be in the music video. Yeah. Wow. Supposedly after this, there were all sorts of washed up musicians asking them to be to, to guest in there. <laughs> Five times voted a CMA female vocalist. In case you didn't know who this was, she got a bunch of country music awards. I, well, I also think like to me, this feels like they're not mocking her. Like Stand By Your Mind still the biggest selling country song of all time, it says at the bottom. Yeah. Like, I feel like. Five marriages. Five marriages, three, three children. children. Maybe not. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe that's still. Yeah, still like celebrating her. Yeah, there they are. That's the. Is that actually them, or is that just two dudes in costumes? They put their names over. That could very well be that. They always dress in those costumes where, or not always, but often where they're like it's like robes, but then with a with one horn coming out of the the face of the robes. Yeah, yeah, they're they're trying to like gesture at like discordianism or other like uh-huh. other other forms of alternative mysticism i find this pretty aesthetically pleasing this whole video i think that the typography is neat oh yeah uh, i don't know i think it's all well very well put together it almost feels like it would be popular today like i don't know like a thing in this style people would probably be attracted to right now I don't yeah know. yeah this is the sort of thing that Oh, what's the Twitter account that you made that people think is a serious guy? Oh, Zane? Yeah, this is the sort of thing Zane would love. Wait, Zane? (laughs) Zane underscore rocks underscore 36. Okay, so so there's not really time for much context here, but Zane was a character in Jay's last game, and Jay is now making a a Doom mod in character as Zane uh, and posting about it on Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Wow, really? It's a like it's a this. weird. He's like a he's like a new metal kid, like a uh, edgy kid, you know. But he grew up, and now he's a manager at a dollar store. But still <laughs> has the same aesthetic. Yeah, but he's finishing his old childhood like project he was working on with a friend. I know people like this. <laughs> yeah, was that the Burning Man man that they yeah. did, it did look showed? like it? Yeah. But this is like 1991, I think, is when this video came out. Maybe it was like a Wicker Man reference or something. Yeah, it does look 1991. June 10th, 1991. There we are. Just in case you forgot. Presented with the most 
coveted Living Legend <laughs> Award sponsored by <laughs> TNN. Are they talking about their own awards now? No, no, they're talking about Tammy Wynette, I think. Okay, yeah, yeah. So normally those would be too fast to read or yeah like this is one of the reasons we picked this video is that there's so much in here that is just incomprehensible at normal speed Mm. singing faces are not meant to be seen at this speed yeah that's true everyone looks ridiculous when they're singing if you watch it at a quarter speed tammy Wynette is the first lady of country i don't know i would say that ma carter or even maybe june carter one of the carter family probably deserves that yeah are they still alive? Well, June Carter was June Carter Cash at this point. Yeah, she was alive. But I don't know if there were... I think probably the rest of the Carter clan was gone to seed by this point. Yeah. Do, have you noticed that only the people in the yellow robes have that, like, a- aliasing doubling effect on them? I wonder if that's a color-based effect. Like, if the... Uh-huh. If, if, like, whatever video toaster type thing they're doing is looking for that color and, and messing with it. Maybe it was just that shot? Oh, yeah, maybe. Maybe. I've, I've noticed it a few times, but okay. I, can't, I, I didn't notice whether or not it was only on the people in yellow the, the last time I saw it. Right. There's some Japanese on the screen now. Yeah. Invisible Predator Japanese. <laughs> Doom Demon. We have to say that just because there's the thing is called a demon in the game Doom, and if you just say oh. Demon Invisible, it doesn't make any sense. I have forgotten that there was a... Oh, wait. Warning. The fall of the empire and the death of little Moo. Little Moo, that's a noun, are imminent. When you're slowly reading the the crawl as it comes across, I feel like I'm in a film where people are deciphering an ancient language and they're slowly building up to something. Wait, this is written in Aramaic. Yeah. Ricardo de Force. I love how they just hire randos to be in the video. Like, to be fair, they also probably hired randos to do the singing in this song. Right. Right. But I bet they're not the same randos as they hired to be in the video. Right. I wonder how any of these people feel about this. Yeah. I mean, it's just a gig, right? Like... Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if the vibe on set was more relaxed than it looks watching the music video, because it looks quite chaotic. Yeah. Do you think it's like extremely organized chaos, like extremely choreographed? Yeah. I bet it is because it like if you every time they pull back, you see that it's all just one set with a bunch of people dancing on it. So I bet they choreographed everything and then did this like, you know, 15 times to get all the right angles or whatever. Yeah, that makes sense. Every time Ricardo DeForce is on screen, (laughs) his name is overlaid over him. Every time Ricardo DeForce isn't on screen, you should be wondering, where's Ricardo DeForce? There's some flying V guitars. You don't really see people playing those unironically anymore. I saw a flying V ukulele once. <laughs> Excellent. Good synchronization. Yeah. Stormy weather now. Right. Yeah. The sun dropped down and there's... Do you remember when, I, when we were talking about KLF music videos and I was like, they all look the same? Yeah. This is what they all look like now. Now that it's, yeah. now that it's, it's gray. Th- this is the only music video I've seen of theirs that took, takes place during the day. Right, like the other video I suggested is all in black and white, and they're on. It's like a bunch of people on a Viking ship, and it's raining, and everybody's partying hard, like headbanging on this Viking ship while it's raining. <laughs> Which honestly looks like a a great time. Like it looks like it would have been a really fun video to shoot. Yeah, I like this set. 
Yeah, it seems it's like a mis- mishmash of uh, of ancient cultures. Yeah. Yeah, I really like it. Down in the left or down in the right hand corner is somebody dressed like a sort of half like a Dalek from Doctor Who. Yeah, I was thinking that too. But you can see their feet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? This is probably a clip of the Doctor and the TARDIS video. Oh, right. Oh, so they're showing clips from their other <laughs> yeah videos. yeah i actually recognize the one on the bottom left now too it's like when you sample a previous previous one of your own songs yeah that seems in bad taste <laughs> king boy d and the other guy whose name i forget are about to sail away in a submarine i'm just kind of in awe <laughs> i'm sad that i've not looked into this group more yeah and i'm excited to listen to the video at full speed. I mean, I, I can't say that musically they're super great. Like, it was very of the time, and it was all very tongue-in-cheek. Mm-hmm. And I think they're more interesting as, like, art terrorists than as musicians. Okay. I agree with that 100%, yeah. They did this thing where they burned a million dollars, essentially. Yeah. There's a movie called Watch the KLF Burn a Million Quid, where they took all this money and put it on the beach and set it on fire. Wow. And then they did a world tour where they just went around interviewing people and asking those people why they, the KLF, had set a million dollars on fire. (laughs) (laughs) So they're like the cooler cards against humanity from 20 years before. Um, Maybe just older. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We would like to thank the five for making all of this impossible. We're looking at some like CRT screens. Yeah. You know, if they if they weren't cowards, that would be like that image would be rolling and you know what I mean by this. The 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 effect when you point a camera at a CRT and it's they're not synchronized. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. it's strobing or something. Yeah, strobe strobing is the what I was trying to think of, yeah. And that's it. We watched the whole thing. Jim, have you done uh other watch alongs uh, like this? Oh yeah, for the past few months, this has been a recurring segment in Topic Lords. I gotta catch up. <laughs> yeah, if this is the sort of thing you're into, I don't think I ever mentioned this on the show, so I should I should tell people uh, if you look in the show notes of the uh, the past maybe fifteen episodes, the the commentary gets edited down like the rest of the show does to the interesting parts. When you're listening to the podcast itself. Oh, thank God. It's just going to be the interesting parts. But if you go in the show notes, you're going to find a YouTube video, which is the uh, unedited commentary, which you can actually uh-huh. sync up with the music video as you watch it yourself. And you can see what we're talking about. Oh, wow. Very nice. Uh, and if I, if I weren't a coward, I would have actually slowed down the music video and included it in my video. So you wouldn't have to sync them up. But I just decided I didn't want to deal with copyright strikes. Right. Yeah. Especially you don't want to get the KLF mad at you. Right. That would be the worst. They burned a million dollars. Who knows what they're capable of doing? <laughs> I like it as a thousand dollars more. They burned a thousand dollars. Who knows what they can do, <laughs> what they'll do next. What else are they capable of? The monsters. Uh, everybody for another topic. Sure. Jay, your topic is Cyber Nexus Internet Cafe in Lakeland, Florida, and late 1990s internet cafes in general. Uh, and then there's a, yeah. a link here, which I did not notice when I put this topic in the bucket. I'm going to click on it right now. I way back machined their website from back in the day. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. And um, that's a late 90s Internet Cafe. All right. Oh, yeah. And so I just thought like as a kid, gee, how old was I? 11 or 12. They had a Tomb Raider in the window, which was a mannequin. <laughs> Thankfully, with the sunglasses on so you can see the lifeless eyes, but dressed like Lara Croft. 
the whole front area and the lobby were decorated with this Egyptian theme, which later I realized was a Stargate thing, but I just thought it was supposed to be ancient Egypt because that's cool. Yeah. And then the the back was was like spaceshipy looking. I suspect the entire place was Stargate themed. I just didn't realize it because I didn't know what that was. But <laughs> if you didn't catch onto the fact that it was Stargate, it could just be like weird ancient Egypt slash future themed. Yeah, I went there three times, maybe um, once for a birthday. And we went in the back room that looked like a spaceship and they had not a cube, but a square of computers in this room with a big pillar in the middle of the square with like glowing neon stuff in the middle of the pillar but these computers were all situated sort of in a square around this pillar it was very cool feeling but all of my friends had fast internet and played the game played like maybe quake we were playing or something a lot and i had no practice so for my birthday i just got pounded and (laughs) didn't know what was going on uh, in Quake in the back room of this establishment here. But my parents were watching a Pink Floyd DVD with the owner of the place in this little lobby area (laughs) on a old big screen TV. And he had a ponytail and flip flop and like a maybe a Hawaiian shirt, if I'm remembering right. Yeah. Which is just like what you'd imagine i suppose the owner was like finally people my own age i can watch pink floyd with them (laughs) he did i i did get that vibe and sadly i think not many people uh, by that point were visiting the place so he seemed so happy that we were there (laughs) yeah but i loved it like each time we went it just felt so cool like i I, a, a themed place like this just in a it was in a downtown area in this small central florida town and when it closed i was so so sad because i was just like two years away from getting a driver's license and then i could go to cyber nexus whenever i wanted yeah cyber nexus is a perfect name for a place like that it's a very good name yeah in fact i'm renaming this show to cyber nexus (laughs) okay let's do it (laughs) welcome to cyber nexus the only place on the internet you can hear cyber's nexus perfect uh, which one is cyber and which one is nexus <laughs> the, the comedy duo of cyber and nexus one of them one of them always lies and the other one always tells the truth <laughs> but yeah i guess that was the topic did y'all go to internet cafes I, I mean san francisco were you there when there were internet cafes there like you know this type of thing i've worked in like serious coffee shops for about 20 years and the first place where i got my real serious coffee training for a little while it was like 2003 i think when i started there and for a little while we were making a concerted effort to become an internet cafe in order to draw people in because it was in san jose and nobody cared about the fact that we were making really high quality coffee right but it wasn't that kind it wasn't like gamer focused it was just we had a lot of computers on the walls i went to a cafe just like the one you're describing in portland when my band it's the first time i'd ever been to portland my band toured up there for part of a festival mm-hmm. it was a very high concept festival and i don't remember why we were invited to play there um <laughs> it was like the interface of language and technology or something okay, like that yeah there was an internet cafe in Portland that had a performance stage. Wow. And we went in the day before to see what it was like. And it was like half of the 
half of the cafe was internet cafe. And then you go through a door and there was roughly another half of the building was dedicated to performance area. And I went and I ordered like a cappuccino and I tried it and did my coffee snob thing. And then I just sat down at a computer and somebody's <laughs> World of Warcraft game was open or something. And <laughs> Someone I just started, else's? Wow. Yeah. And I just started playing and a guy, the guy sitting next to me, <laughs> there were these round tables and it was like five people per table or something. Each one had a bank of computers at it. And the guy next to me sort of like casually looked at me and then did a double take and looked at me again and said, who are you? <laughs> and I said, I'm Avery. And then he looked at the computer and was like, said something like, that's Daniel's account. That's a level 12 mage. Get off of that. <laughs> oh, no. And I like, I love anything where there seems to be like a, a whole subculture with like rules and etiquette and like people who are famous within the culture and stuff. Right. Serious coffee is like that, where it's kind of like... Like Daniel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, <laughs> I, yeah, I felt like I had discovered that and I was like, I was fascinated. I started peppering this guy with questions because I didn't realize how serious of a of a faux pas I had made by just taking over someone's account. <laughs> right. Yeah. Been to a bunch of LAN parties as a, as a teenager and they looked a lot like that photo. Uh, LAN parties and okay. demo parties too. Like late 90s nerds sitting at you know rows or clusters of crt monitors it's a very specific look but my internet cafe experience is limited to uh when i was this was in berkeley so it was sort of in san francisco this was in like 2005 maybe i just gotten a job and was in the process of moving to foster city and i was stayed in the hotel in berkeley for a week but before i had internet access because the hotel provided internet access, but my computer didn't have a Wi-Fi card. So mm. before I went out, like during this week, I was staying at this hotel and I bought a Wi-Fi card to install in my computer. I uh, got my fix of playing World of Warcraft by going to an internet cafe for one afternoon. And I played World of Warcraft on that in that internet cafe instead of at my own computer for the one time I've ever done that. Right. That was, I believe that was Eudaimonia on uh, on University Avenue. That's another great name for an internet cafe. Yeah. I wonder if there's a distinction to be made between internet cafe and cyber cafe or something. Uh, because in Germany and maybe in most of the rest of the world, other than certain parts of the United States, I think there's more of a utilitarian. There wasn't as much of this culture where people did set design inside their cafe or whatever you know? <laughs> and it was it's more you go there to check your email or gamble often now maybe gambling is a big thing in asia there's a lot of um gaming there's a big culture around that in korea for example right did you see parasite no there's a scene in parasite it's about a family it's a good movie but uh, the two siblings who are two of the stars of the movie are in some kind of like gaming hub area playing some sort of like massive, I th at least my interpretation was that they were playing some sort of massive online game in this area. And it takes place in modern day Korea. I, I remember being like, oh, wow, like you don't have that kind of thing anymore in the United States, yeah. which was definitely not the point of the movie at all. But for some reason it stuck with me now i feel like i've coined this and now i'm using it but cyber cafes like heavily themed like cafes with uh multimedia cd-roms like i feel like they they, <laughs> they came and went at around the same time maybe yes the 
place where I was working when we were briefly trying out being an internet cafe, it was the more utilitarian thing you're talking about. It was it was back when we could offer people a better connection than they would get at their own homes. And not right. everybody had computers, but everybody had email that they had to check or like scams. I think there were probably a or I, I know for certain there were a good number of internet scammers running out of that cafe. <laughs> Wow. There was a regular at that coffee shop who remained all the way up until I stopped working there. So like long after we got rid of the computers on the walls and stuff, who his job was that he was a ticket scalper and he had all of this equipment for ticket scalping. At first, he would just use our computers. Then we got rid of the computers. He had all this proprietary equipment that he would just take over an entire table every day uh, and he'd buy coffee all day long. Wow. But it was real weird. And occasionally he would be on a headset phone like even long after people stopped using those he would be on a headset and he would be like walking around outside shouting at someone that was going to be my question for you did you have a regular uh clearly uh shady patron but Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) yes cool oh that reminds me there was a guy in a starbucks i want to say in i was put it around 2006 7 maybe and this was kind of a as podunk as it gets for a Starbucks, like as out in the, in the sticks as possible for a Starbucks. And um, he was in a, not in a corner, he was just on a table with chairs with a full, I would say maybe a 61 key MIDI controller. Like, and at that time they weren't exactly tiny, like MIDI controllers. Uh, it's a keyboard, 61 key keyboard with a bunch of knobs and buttons and a big laptop and an audio interface and big headphones all taking up this big table right in the middle of Starbucks. And at the at the time, I was just getting into that stuff and I was too, I guess, too shy to ask him about it. And and at the time, I snickered and thought it was dorky to do that in the middle of Starbucks. I mean, you know, having all your stuff there. But then I found myself in a very similar situation, like where I just like had to get something done and I had a MIDI controller with me. And I had to plug it into my laptop at a Starbucks, I don't know, in the last five years here. And I, I, I felt a little like guilt for thinking <laughs> that that guy was dorky. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. But you have become the dork. Yes, I am the dork. Yes. Before we sign off, Avery, uh, you have a philosophy degree, right? Yes. This is actually a recurring segment now because I've already asked this of someone else that was the, else with a philosophy degree. But this was a question that came up that I was like, Next time someone with a philosophy degree is on the show, I want to ask them this question. Are cough drops a food? <laughs> I want to start this off by saying um, I've always avoided, tried to avoid philosophy topics on this <laughs> show the many times I've been on now because I think the worst thing that I could do on this show is accidentally enter lecture mode and then it's like an hour later and I'm still talking about like, like <laughs> I, al- I almost just started talking about Aristotelian ethics. Oh, and it came up again. With, there was a cafe called Eudaimonia. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. An Aristotelian. I, I just uh, found out, by the way, Googling Eudaimonia, Eudaimonia closed this year, which is a bummer. Wow. Oh. Yeah. But it's, it's shocking to me that an internet cafe of the kind we described was open until recently. Yeah. I think they leaned into like the, the board gaming aspect of it a bit. Mm. I'm sure it was just COVID, you know? Yeah. Yeah. R.I.P. Eudaimonia. But yeah, what would Aristotle say to the question of whether cough drops are a food? Oh, Aristotle would say that it's a food because it's... Oh, wait, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Good. This is great. 
it has to be, I think for Aristotle, it has to be nourishing. You know, the thing is like the ancient Greeks are a great place to go to ask this kind of question because they were still concerned with stuff like what makes something a food. Yeah. What about categorization? About, well, not, yeah, categorization and also like stuff having to do with directly with like what is an organism and what do organisms do? Yeah. Uh, and in Western philosophy, people just stopped being interested in that question for some reason around medieval time. Well, no, I guess medieval philosophy is also concerned with stuff like that. But the problem with uh, getting a philosophy education anywhere in the United States is that unless you want to specialize in medieval philosophy, for some reason, they just don't teach it. Huh. So I'm, I'm self-read in a lot of medieval philosophy, which is very different. This is a very, very, very quick tangent. Mm -hmm. Most cultures throughout history, when I read about them, I can find some common thing where I'm like, okay, this culture was very different than mine. Like ancient Roman culture was very different in many, many ways than the culture I'm living in. But I think that the people essentially thought about the world in like, I can, I can relate to these people in some way or another. There are two cultures where it's just like these people are aliens uh, who have a completely alien perspective on the world. And I cannot imagine, I cannot creatively put myself into their position because the way that they see the world is so different. Mm -hmm. For me, one of them is ancient Egyptian culture, which is crazy, crazy crap. And then, uh, <laughs> which I love, it's just like, it's so di like the way that people talked about their metaphysical conception of the world is so different that I, I have no idea how to even imagine their perspective. Uh, and then the other one is medieval Europe, where it just stuff was nuts. And like <laughs> the way that philosophers write about things is nuts. And like, I, I don't, I feel like even though I've done a lot of reading of medieval philosophy, I don't have a great handle on what the questions even were for people then. This is, I would love to dig into this, but we are out of time. <laughs> um, maybe we should make this a topic on a future episode because I really want to know more about the incompatibility of, uh, of medieval uh, and Egyptian scholars. Oh, yeah. But real quick, real quick, what would Aristotle say? <laughs> uh i want to say that he would he would say that something is a food if it if it nourishes the organism that's eating it but i don't know do cough drops and i mean there's a little i mean they, they usually have in sugar in them yeah yeah but like wax wouldn't be a food right if you ate wax it would just go through you or stay in your stomach for seven years or something is wax a kind of oil oh maybe can you metabolize what see the problem with thinking about what aristotle would say about this is yeah he doesn't know about biology it's a it's tempting to be anachronistic. I mean, he does know about biology in a strange like he knew that whales were mammals. Okay, which means he, he at some point he cut a whale open and walked around inside of it. That's the only way that I could think that he would know that. And he knows what a cough drop is. <laughs> and he knows what a certainly he knows what a lozenge is. <laughs> right. Yeah, we are already hypothesizing this off the wall like time travelers going back in time with a biology textbook and a cough drop. <laughs> well. I, and the ability to speak ancient Greek. Right, yes. Well, you know, I'm, I'm sure that he wrote about, like, I know he wrote about medicine a lot. And there's jokes about, like, the way that he thought of what a medicine is and what it does um, that I don't remember right now because it's been a long time. But because he thought about, he thought about things in terms of, like, powers and effect, right? So uh, yeah. medicine has a potential to affect an object. It's one, it's one of a category of things that has an effect. So if he thought of cough drop as medicine, he probably wouldn't think of it as a food because he did have a he did have a conception of nourishment, even though he didn't really have a conception of metabolism right. or to metabolize. 
Right, right. Okay. So I'm just going to come my, my takeaway from this is going to be that cough drops are a food, but sugar-free cough drops aren't. I love that. Yeah. I think that's right. <laughs> 100%. Uh, I definitely want to talk about more about this. I mean, like if we decide it's not going to be good for the show, we can just talk about this in, in person at some point. Oh yeah, I'd love to have that conversation. But that's all the time we have for Topic Lords. Avery, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Um, people can find my album, which is not on Spotify still. But might be by the time the show comes out. Yes. That's what I said last time. Yeah. Yep. I have a goal. By the time the show comes out, maybe Spotify will have suggested a song that I wrote to you. And you'll be like, hey, it's that songwriting guy. Um, but if not, it's on Spotify right now. It is called Six Songs for Lisa. My name is Avery Burke. You mean Search Bandcamp? For... Yep. That is what I mean. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm done. That's that's I I, I retire. Okay. Jay, if this is something you want, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, sure. Uh, Twitter at J-A-Y-T-H-O-L-E-N. All right. Thanks so much for being on. Thank you. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.